The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Do you have announcements? No? <laughs> okay. <laughs> so good evening, everyone, and welcome. My name is Burgett. I'm a long-time practitioner. Um, I have studied with Gil since he started teaching in 1990, I guess it was. And um, and here I am. <laughs> so I thought I'd share with you some thoughts that came to me about the Dharma and the single life, and then uh, leave some time for discussion. So I've been practicing since 1986, and I have been single the entire time. Um, That wasn't necessarily my intent (laughs) when I started. Um, Like Many people, I expected, hoped to find a relationship that would be long-term. However, that didn't happen. And now, as I look back, I see the value of not having been in a relationship. That's not necessarily true for everybody, but for me, certainly... It has been. It gave me the freedom, the time to do retreats, to sit, to go to lectures, um, day longs. When I was first practicing, I went to everything that was offered every class, every day long, <laughs> every opportunity both here and at Spirit Rock. And I had the freedom to do that. Um, And so my practice deepened. And I didn't have the difficulty of uh, someone else in my life that might not have appreciated my going off or my doing so many day-longs, or whatever. I didn't have someone to argue with, someone to debate the teachings, the ideas that I came home with. (laughs) I was free to accept them on my own. Now, the other side of that, of course, is that I didn't have someone supporting me. (laughs) I didn't have someone with whom to share the practice, to discuss the teachings. Um, I was totally on my own. Of course, I had friends. Um, I didn't talk a whole lot with others about the practice. It was mostly within myself. So I don't think there's one way of doing it. I don't think one way is necessarily better than another. The Dharma, of course, is the Dharma. Whether we're single or whether we're couple teachings are the same. On a practical level, however, they can make a difference. As I said, being single, I was free to follow the practice in whatever way and as much and as deeply as I wanted to without, you know, anybody interfering. When I started practicing, I think my daughter was in high school, and so, of course, she soon graduated and went off to college. And um, so I had no restrictions. 
However, for some people, having a partner, whether they practice or whether they don't, can be very supportive, can be very helpful. If they are also practicing, following the Dharma, then, of course, there's support, understanding, and someone with whom to share what we're learning. If they're not practicing, that may or may not be a problem. (laughs) For some people, it might be. If the person not practicing isn't respectful of the person practicing, doesn't understand, perhaps, maybe jealous of the time that someone spends in practice, or may not understand the changes that inevitably occur as we practice then that might create conflict. That might be a difficulty. But I have known couples where one practiced and one didn't, and it actually worked out very well. The one that wasn't practicing felt they benefited from the one that was practicing. Yeah. Because the one practicing was becoming calmer, (laughs) more loving, more compassionate, more accepting, more generous, all the things that we practice. And the other person could be the beneficiary of all that. Or could be inspired by what the practicing person was doing. When we practice, and we practice sincerely, then we come to understand and to add to our lives the teachings. Things like the Four Noble Truths, the understanding of suffering, the understanding of its origin, and the understanding of the path to walk to release our suffering. We learn to follow the precepts. We learn the practice of generosity and the practice of non-harming and all the paramis. And so our lives inevitably change we become different. And hopefully for many of us, we relax. We become more equanimous. And we may become better partners. And that can be, of course, um, very helpful. But sometimes, what we're practicing, what we're doing, may not fit with our partner. If our partner isn't drawn to the Dharma and doesn't see things the way we do, there may be, there may be issues. Ethics may be different. And then what do we do in those situations? One time, many years ago, I was dating someone, and someone that was older than me. And we went to the movies. And at that time, I don't remember my exact age, but I was less than whatever the stated age for senior was at the movie. (laughs) 
<laughs> but the man I was with was over that. And he was buying the tickets. <laughs> so I stood there, as he said, too senior. <laughs> and in that instant, you know, what do I do? <laughs> and I didn't say anything because he was pain. <laughs> if I'd been pain, I would have, but I wasn't. Um, but, you know, <laughs> I thought about it. I thought about it. That could have been a difficult point. And had we gone on for a longer relationship, uh, that might ha- that kind of thing might have become a rub. On the other hand, at another point, uh, when something like that happened, he said to me, I'm learning a different way of being, a different way of living, I think he said. I considered that a compliment. So whether we have a relationship, whether we're coupled, or whether we're single, how we practice the Dharma is what's important. What the Dharma means to us. Sometimes, unfortunately, when one person is practicing and somebody else is not, the one practicing can become a little self-righteous, can become a little bit arrogant, thinking that we know (laughs) the true way, we know how things should be. And of course, that that doesn't help a relationship, so that can be a pitfall. Sometimes I have seen people with, usually with a fairly new practice, do what I call a spiritual bypass. I didn't coin that term. Chogyam Trungpa did. But, you know, if we learn that anger isn't skillful, and people get the idea that Buddhists shouldn't be angry, then sometimes we have a tendency to deny that we're angry because that isn't very Buddhist-like or because maybe the other person won't like that or the other person will think we're not so spiritual or not so Buddhist. And this can be a bypass. Another way I've seen it is with the idea of non-self that we're not these solid, unchanging, enduring selves that we think we are. And I've heard people, you know, we use the term selfing uh, to refer to when we are clinging to I or me or mine. And I've heard people use that term to other people in a very pejorative way. Oh, you're selfing again. Well, we all do it. (laughs) It's not meant to be a way to put somebody down. So we need to be careful if we're the one practicing and we're learning and changing our behavior that we don't then use that as, as a weapon or use that as a put-down for somebody else. So when Wendy asked me to speak, she suggested that <clears throat> one topic would be fear and the single life. All of us have fear. It doesn't matter if we're single or not. Everybody experiences fear. 
So how do we work with it? How do we work with the fear that we experience? Number one, of course, is accepting it, acknowledging that there's fear, and not trying to pretend that it's not there or pushing it away or resisting it, but allowing it. And so often when we do that, the fear diminishes. It's interesting, just by being seen and acknowledged, the fear can diminish. It's important to remember, fear is about the future. It's not about what's happening right now. Right now, things are fine. And if there's something to be done, we do it. So fear is about the future. It's about what might happen or might not happen. And maybe some of you, as I used to, had a fear of never finding the right partner. So then we can look at that as I did. What is the expectation around finding the right partner? For me, I think part of it was not feeling enough myself and thinking a partner would help me to feel whole or help me to feel better, to feel better about myself. And indeed, there were times, of course, when I was dating that, that having somebody that I thought was a very good partner did help me to feel more worthy, more attractive, more acceptable, more part of things. But of course, inevitably, (laughs) that relationship would end. And there I was, myself again. We take ourselves (laughs) wherever we go. We bring ourselves to every relationship. And so finally I got it, (laughs) that it was not about finding somebody else to complete me, to make me happy, or to make me feel whole, or whatever it was. That it was about me finding that within myself. What a gift. What a gift. Because when we think it's out there, then we're always searching, and often the search is futile. It certainly doesn't last. When we truly discover that everything we need is here, that we make ourselves happy, that we make ourselves whole, or I I should say that we are whole already. We just need to recognize it and stop thinking that we're not. Then we become happy on our own. We become happy regardless of the external circumstances. Then having a partner can be nice. It's like icing on the cake. But it's not the cake. We are the cake. And this is one of the the major teachings, I might even say goals, of the spiritual life, of spiritual practice. To discover what has been there all along to discover the wholeness, the completeness, the peace, the happiness that we want is already within us. 
We can stop the search. We can stop looking out there because it's right here. And meditation is a great aid, a great help for us to discover that. When we sit and turn our attention inward, eventually we discover. Of course, often we have to go through a lot of junk (laughs) to get there. A lot of conditioning, a lot of ideas, a lot of erroneous beliefs that we have about ourselves, about others, about life. But as we sit... And as we study and as we see all those beliefs, then we see the unreality of them. We see the untruth of them. We see that they're just ideas that we adopted from our families, from our culture, from our schools, whatever. And that they're not true. They're not who we are. They're ideas about who we are. So we all have a lot of ideas. We have a lot of ideas about life, about how things are, how they're not, how they should be, what we'd like. (laughs) And it's hard sometimes to see things as they actually are. To see life just as it is. But that's what we're called upon to do, to see things just as they are, without all our interpretations and stories and perceptions and all the stuff we put on the events of life, to just see things as they are. That's really what the teachings are about, to see life as it is. Now, when we do that, not everybody in our life appreciates it. Sometimes people like holding on to their ideas, to their beliefs about how things are. And they don't like somebody else pointing out what is really going on or what is really true. So that can be a difficulty. That can be a challenge. How do we relate to someone who sees things very differently from us. That's always a big challenge, isn't it? Whether it's a friend or a partner or in any circumstance of life. How do we relate to someone who sees things very, very differently? We see a lot of that going on now in the political parties, don't we? And it isn't very, it often isn't very inspiring, very successful. Oftentimes people don't know how to relate to somebody that sees things very differently. And this is where I think respect is so important and seeing things clearly when we see things clearly then we realize we understand that we all have different perspectives two great Buddhist teachers can disagree same teachings (laughs) same practice and they can see things quite differently but hopefully hopefully with practice They can discuss and debate and accept and respect each other's position. And from that, we grow. 
from being able to hear and accept and understand another's perspective, we grow. So how do we become a better partner through this practice? I started to say, we follow the precepts. We understand the Four Noble Truths. We develop the paramis, perfections. We develop compassion, loving-kindness, understanding, generosity, etc., etc. We become more accepting of ourselves and each other and of life in general. We see things more clearly. We see things more truly as they are and not as we put our ideas on, but just as they are. And that allows us to be open to other perspectives. We can become more self-reliant, less clingy (laughs) sometimes. We come to rely more on ourselves. We can use relationship as a mirror. In this way, relationship can be of great benefit. If we have the courage to let the relationship, and it can be, it can be um, a child or a parent or a partner. If we let that relationship be a mirror for us so that we see ourselves reflected in that relationship. It's not easy. It takes courage. But that can be enormously helpful and we can grow from it. So we learn to question our ideas, to question our beliefs, to question our fears, and not hold them so tightly. Maybe they're just ideas. Maybe they're not real. Maybe we don't have to believe them or buy into them. We accept our aloneness. We can learn to be alone without being lonely. And we can be lonely in a crowd, right? So I think I'll stop there and see if there are questions, comments, anything I've said or just from yourself. What? I would like to attain what you're talking about to be whole in myself and to be able to be alone and not lonely but I I'm not sure if I'll ever get there (laughs) seems like a great goal I've been working at it for a lot of years. It is a great goal. Uh 
And I would urge you, first of all, not to tell yourself that you might not get there. You know, it's really important what we say to ourselves. It's very important to pay attention to our thoughts so that we're not telling ourselves something that that is in conflict with what we really want to do. Could I I ask this gentleman a question? Could I ask you a question? I'm not sure. Uh, I'll be kind. I'm just wondering if you have uh, ever experienced times when you are alone where you haven't been lonely. I mean, are you saying that 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 sense of aloneness always comes with a sense of loneliness, I guess is kind of my question. And, and if you have felt that other state, what is that like for you? I do experience that state 95% of my time. Which state? Feeling uh, alone and okay being alone. Oh. Would you like to comment from your perspective? How is it for you? Uh, I, I would say I have kind of the the same percentage going on that I, I I'm alone and I don't think that much about it, but I rarely maybe five percent and I feel lonely. So I would say if I'm feeling if I'm feeling recognizing my aloneness and I'm comfortable in it or rejoicing in it or just accepting it for what it is and it's only 5% loneliness I think that's pretty good (laughs) have an experience of intimacy with somebody and then I go home it's I feel more I feel a repercussion I feel uh, a loss separation anxiety Mm -hmm. and it's almost like the loneliness is worse after a wonderful when I go back and be alone in my apartment. I'm just imagining that scenario. It's this phenomenon of separation anxiety. Or, or just, we don't have to make it separation anxiety, but just, um, you could focus on the enjoyment of that intimacy rather than on the feeling of separation when you go home. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, it's so easy to, um, to focus on the loss of something or the lack of. But inevitably, that's going to happen. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, it's always half empty, half full in every situation. You make a choice. Yeah, and we can't be intimate every moment of the day, at least not with somebody else. Right. <laughs> yes? Um, so I have um, two comments. One is, I've sort of, I think I've got to the point where I'm comfortable being alone and accepting it, and, but maybe sometimes I think that I'm too comfortable <laughs> with that state. And um, so I was wondering if there is such a thing as being just too comfortable being alone. Um, and two, I think what's what the times when it gets me are when you see that there's so much celebration in society of couplehood, mm-hmm. but there's no celebration of mm-hmm. singlehood mm-hmm. at all. And I think it's those times that um, there's that you know kind of a little twinge in your mm-hmm. heart. Give yourself a Valentine. <laughs> yeah, I think I think you're very right that the culture, by and large, is focused on couples, and um, and singles can feel very left out. Yeah. Although, also, it has changed a lot. <laughs> it's very different from, say, the fifties. 
so things are moving in that, in that direction. Can one be too comfortable being alone? I don't know. I think, I think one has to look at it. Um, if one is comfortable being alone because they don't want to deal with somebody else, then that might be an issue for exploration. If one is comfortable and just enjoys being by themselves, but is fine if there's a reason to be with people, um, I don't know that there's any problem with that. Human beings tend to aggregate, you know. We're, we're gregarious, and we tend to want to come together. Um, but that can be a bit overwhelming also. And it's probably healthy if we can strike some kind of balance of being with others and being alone and be reasonably comfortable with each I'm thinking one time a year or so ago, there was a function here <clears throat> that several of us came to, and a couple of us afterwards, uh, actually I think we rode together, so we were talking on the way home. And this other person um, had been very uh, quiet, and I don't know if she would say shy, but uh, more introverted maybe. And at that particular function... She was, um, she was very comfortable being much more friendly and outgoing and enjoying everybody. And I, on the other hand, <laughs> who can be, I can be either, but I could be quite gregarious. And I was overwhelmed. I was exhausted. I was tired from so much interaction and so much going on. And we were just noting that the practice probably had allowed each of us to move a little bit more in the other direction. So, you know, it was um, balancing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when you talk about being single in the modern era, one of the things is online dating. And that is a, almost like a vast wasteland of rejection. And I wonder if you could talk a little <laughs> bit about the, the mindfulness or the approach that you might recommend we take when, if we opt to participate in that. And maybe the answer is don't. <laughs> no, I was going to say be careful. <laughs> I have married people that met online. You know, it is the modern way of dating. I also have talked to people that have been swindled out of thousands of dollars. So be careful, <laughs> especially women, I think, but I guess it goes both ways. Yeah. It's a tough one, I think, because um, it can be a very good way for people to meet and, and meet people that are seemingly more like them. But boy, there's a lot of untruthfulness <laughs> that goes on. And so I think being very cautious. Also, it seems to me the stories that I have heard uh, tend to be at the ones I've heard, <laughs> from women that um, too easily fell for a story, a line, and weren't careful enough and maybe sure enough of themselves to be a little more cautious, to be a little more standoffish, if you will, and not fall for... something right away? Does that make sense? <laughs> Do you have other thoughts? Or? Well, I, I actually think that there's, there must be a mindset about how you even approach it because it's actually, it's so, 
I feel like the practice of doing it is anathema to everything that we're talking about in terms of connection and generosity and, you know, acceptance of other people. It seems to be a very superficial world um, in, in my limited experience with it thus far. And so the question is, how, if we're coming at it from a, you know, by thinking of the Four Noble Truths, and how, what perspective should how should we put that all into perspective because it doesn't seem to to fit with this this approach to the it's life. it's a good question yeah and i think then it becomes important for us for whoever um is you know putting out a profile or whatever to be as honest as we can and that doesn't mean we have to say everything but that what we say is authentic is true. And then <laughs> uh, be very cautious about what somebody else says. So the meeting part might be very superficial. But once two people meet, then it doesn't have to be superficial anymore. It's, it's the actual online and the filtering through of people that yeah. And so making sure that you meet in public, <laughs> you know, making sure, um, <laughs> again, from what I've been told, that, that one doesn't give too much. That is, that one person be too willing to drive long distances to meet somebody, <laughs> you know, or... Um, be too accepting of people not calling when they say they're going to, not arriving when they say they're going to, you know, that kind of thing, holding people to their word. Um, you know, in, in that way, in a way, it's no different from how dating always has been. But I think it's the connecting, you know, it's the, the, the meeting that used to be totally happenstance <laughs> and now and now we can arrange it yeah i haven't done it so i'm not you know i'm not an expert but i have i have heard stories and i have heard stories of older women in their 80s getting swindled out of buco bucks because they fall for this line. Yeah. Well, maybe an idea to start a company, you know, online, date, online dating for practitioners. <laughs> the entrepreneur is speaking. <laughs> but um, I wanted to make a comment that was kind of related to what you were saying earlier. I had an experience last week where I, um, I ran into my neighbor at the farmer's market and um, I genuinely complimented him on finding um, a girlfriend that I know he's been dating online for a long, long time. And, and he met this woman, and they make this really beautiful couple. And so I told him, you know, I'm so happy you found someone. And immediately his reaction was, oh, it will happen to you too, and giving me the name of the site. And I'm just like, you know, I really don't want to date right now. <laughs> I didn't say anything, but it's kind of like, like he was assuming I wasn't whole because, you know, like, you know, he's been, he was like on three, si three sites at the same time, like <laughs> dating, like, you know, like crazy. Could see like all the women, you know, <laughs> coming all the time. But it's, it's, it's just that um, this idea that, um, you know, it, it clicked on me because I think many years earlier I would have felt, oh, yeah, I hope I will find someone. Mm -hmm. Or, I mean, it's just not on my mind right now. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and why would people kind of like assume that I'm, I'm not whole because I'm not dating, you know? Um, and that kind of um, made me reflect. Mm -hmm. um, and it wouldn't have before. Yeah. And, you know, I'm kind of like wondering if practicing is kind of, 
you know, change that in me, in that kind of like wholeness, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. because it kind of happened, you know, kind of during that same time um, that, you know, I really resonate with what you said about dating is the icing on the cake. <laughs> I'm the cake. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I didn't think that before. Yeah, you know, and I, I think you're speaking to what was said earlier that society tends to see things um, in couples, yeah. and there is sort of an assumption that of course you would want to find somebody. <laughs> of course, everybody wants to find somebody. Yeah. Maybe not true. Yeah, I wonder if it's related to kind of practicing and seeing things as they are as opposed to just accepting what everybody Mm -hmm. says, you know, around. Mm -hmm. Uh, That has kind of changed my viewpoint. Um, I wouldn't say I wouldn't want to be in a relationship if that happens, but I'm not, um, yeah, I'm just really not dating. Mm -hmm. Uh, But you're okay as you are also. Oh, I'm I'm great. (laughs) and, you know, I don't know if it's too comfortable or, or what, but um, I just feel that it's a very um, creative, transformative point in my life. And I really need all that energy to make that happen. Mm-hmm. So I'm fine. Like, you know, I'll be with someone later, just not right now. <laughs> Good. Uh-huh. Um, about 15 years ago I went to see the Dalai Lama speak mm-hmm. and he's uh, his best friend is his translator who's married and somebody asked the Dalai Lama you know what do you think about marriage versus being single mm-hmm. and he said single life like this married life like this <laughs> <laughs> so as a keen observer um that's what he saw. But he, he didn't say that one was better than the other. He yeah, just said that right. that's what he saw. Um, yeah. But I thought that, that was interesting. Um, I don't know that that's always true. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I think I've discovered in various ways that what, I'm, what I was missing is not necessarily a uh, uh, male-female relationship. So this is funny. You're all going to laugh, but I got two fish. I finally got my first pets because I'm allergic to uh, fuzzy things. And you know what? I'm so not lonely since I got these fish. <laughs> I come home. They swim over. They, they like to play. <laughs> and I realize, like, oh, that's great. But, no, but that's one thing. But really, that kind of filled like an empty hole. But the other is that I really want friendship. This is really what matters to me the most, you know, girlfriends or male friends. I just want to have close, intimate time with people one-on-one. And that's what I feel is more, uh, I don't have enough of in my life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Thank you. I think John. I think I have maybe the opposite problem that I think most people have and maybe I can get some feedback on this, but most people, I think, seem to be looking for like a soulmate or the ideal person and afraid of maybe not finding the ideal person. And I'm the other way around. I'm afraid I would find the ideal person. (laughs) (laughs) And the reason for that is, um, I I think all of us have areas in our emotional makeup where some areas were stronger than others. When it comes to relationships, I'm really fragile. And so, and given the divorce rate of 50% in this country, and it must be at least 90% in the Bay Area. <laughs> you know, I, I, just, I just think if I re- meet the right person and then it doesn't work out, it'll be a real head trasher. And so I'm, you know, I'm really paranoid. And uh, does anybody else have that? Or am I the only one? <laughs> <laughs> one other. Okay, good. All right. <laughs> but you know, that's the chance we take. Yeah. When we love, whether it's a partner or whomever we love, there's always the risk of our heart being broken. Yeah. That's just the way it is. Yeah, I know. And that. so it's a false 
um, assumption or belief that then if we don't love, then we'll be okay. (laughs) We won't get hurt. It hurts not to love. That's where that saying, you know, better to have loved than lost than not to have loved at all. I think that's where it came from. I like to shoot that guy. (laughs) You what? (laughs) Nothing. (laughs) I just... Anyway. Uh, yeah, we're running over. Let's, this lady wanted to say something, and then we better stop. But we can continue on informally out in the other room. Um, I just wanted to say that we have to rem- be reminded that it always looks greener on the other side. <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I've thought, oh, I want to be married, oh, I want to be in partnership. And then I will talk to my female friends who have the husband, have the boyfriend, and it, it is not the ideal that I think it is in my head. <laughs> um, the other thing, too, is... Um, about 13, maybe 14, 15 years ago, I was talking to a couple of girlfriends of mine, and I asked them if they were happier in relationship or were they happier single, and they said that they were happier being single. And so I always took that to heart. And in our discussion today, what I have found is my relationship with myself, my happiness with myself also goes like the, the marriage. It goes up and down. Sometimes mm-hmm. I'm mm-hmm. really happy mm-hmm. and grateful that I'm single and I have this really wonderful life. And yeah, there are times when I wish I was in partnership, but um, I get to grow and experience mm-hmm. and have my connection with my higher power. Um, and <clears throat> the, the strength of it may not be there if I was in partnership. And so I'm grateful for where I'm at right for today. So thank you. Yeah, I think, I think that's wise for all of us to remember that it always looks greener. Whatever we have, what somebody else has, looks better. Yeah. And I just want to say that when I talk about, you know, um, everything we need is within us, I'm not suggesting that we get so uh, whatever (laughs) that we don't need anybody else. That's not the idea. But that we become... uh, solid and centered and strong in ourselves. And so that's what we bring to a relationship. And that, um, that can create a much healthier, a much stronger relationship than when, when we don't have that inner strength and we're really dependent on somebody. Yeah. Okay, it's... 8.37, so we probably should stop. And I think we have time out in the other room. Is that right? Great. Well, enjoy. Thank you.